John chapter 8 is where uh, we're going to be at. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you grab it? And uh, we're going to read the first 12 verses. Uh, this is going uh, to need some prayer for me to be able to communicate this well. Uh, because this is kind of an interesting and a lot of speculations going on about uh, this particular passage and a lot of things about this passage. So, um, so y'all just kind of bear with me and, and just pray for me as I try to communicate this. So before we get into that, let's read it, and uh, perhaps the Word of God will read us as well. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 1, we're going to go through 12. Um, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Talk about awkward. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now when the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Perhaps this is how they talked. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against Jesus. So Jesus bent down, stooped down, and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And at once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they all went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. Now look at verse 12 because perhaps this is where verse 53, the last chapter, left off. And verse 12 says, And Jesus again spoke to them, the people in the temple, and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, before we get into this, if you'll notice in the previous ch chapter, towards verse 53, you probably have something in brackets that perhaps says something along the lines of early manuscripts do not include this particular passage. And that kind of creates a conundrum for us. So there's a lot of speculation going on whether or not this particular passage that we just wrote belongs in the Bible. Now, if you're as confused as I am, praise the Lord. We're all in the same boat, all right? Now, here is some questions that this poses. If this is mentioned here that says earlier manuscripts, similar manuscripts uh, did not mention this, uh, and this was not found in them, then why is it in the Bible? Right? Has everyone ever read that and said, well, that's odd and weird, so what do we do with this? Well, I'm glad you asked because I had to do a lot of digging and research into this. So John wrote this, and perhaps what happened throughout the New Testament is that other manuscripts were being written. And so as you know, when manuscripts are written, they were passed on and passed on, and so you either received it and kept it, which is not what happened. They would write and write and write, and most scholars would agree that 
with the New Testament alone, there are thousands, upwards to at least five to 6,000 transcripts of the New Testament. Now, that's a lot of transcripts, if you can think about that. Think about the ancient literature that we have, the Iliad, other uh, literature that's really ancient that you probably had to read in junior high or high school. There's only perhaps maybe hundreds or maybe a thousand manuscripts of those, but the Bible, there are upwards of up to 6,000 manuscripts, which is pretty fascinating if you're a nerd like me who enjoys that type of thing. Now, I'm sure a lot of you are saying to yourself, my, my, we are talking about manuscripts this morning. This is so interesting, Pastor. Talk more. <laughs> we love manuscript talk. Actually, no one has ever said that. So there's likely the story is that someone's writing this, and they thought to themselves, and this is just speculation again, well, they missed this story. They missed this story about that one time that many people had talked about where Jesus had to deal with those um, begrudging Pharisees, these disgruntled men. And remember that time where they, they brought the woman to him? And so the speculation is that they just included this story because it was talked about. It was widely known in their time. Other speculation is that uh, perhaps some of the earlier fathers or, or some of the fathers in the early century, they just didn't like it because it was so provocative. So they inherently just left it out. Now, I'm sure some of you are asking the question now, so what do you do with this? Can you just add and what do they just do? Just throw some random story in the Bible? No, no, no. I believe this actually was a story that took place. And John just left it out, and others included it in his gospel. Here's what we know, if you can fast forward to chapter 20, when it says Jesus did all of these great miracles, and yet he did so many more miracles. Quite, there's, quite possibly there's not a book that can hold all of the miracles within them. And think about this for a second. This is one of them. This is one of those, perhaps, that John writes that there were so many miracles that I wrote about, but man, there are far greater amount of miracles that I didn't write about because I didn't have time and I, there was not enough pen and paper to write them. So think about that for a second. This, perhaps, is one of those stories. I just look at it. If you just want to all just get real with it, it's just bonus material. I, we just got a little nugget of bonus material, all right? That's how I look at this story. It is true. And it is a part of the Word of God. Now, you can take off your thinking cap. Actually, you can't because there's a lot of other speculation going on in this passage, so I'm just kidding. So in light of that, no pun intended, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Right after this story, Jesus goes back up and he says to the people, I'm the light of the world. Now, we'll get into this in greater length in the next couple weeks, but I want you to think about the light, and I want you to think about this statement that Jesus is making. This is just another statement of deity that Jesus makes, this claim of God, so I am. This is the fulfillment of uh, the same I am that told Moses, who do I say that send me? And the voice of the Lord said, you tell him I am, or the great translation of that would be, you just say, I will be who I will be. And so Jesus is echoing the same language that the Lord himself told Moses that I am who I am. And Jesus is saying this. He's saying, I am God. 
I am the one. And so I love this because I love what's not implied here. Jesus says that I am the light of the world. He could have easily have said that I am the light in the wilderness because for me that would have made sense because there's been a lot of wilderness uh, talk going on here, right? Because Jesus says uh, they talk a lot about Moses. There's a lot of references to uh, slavery. And so Jesus could have just came out and said, yo, I'm that light in the wilderness. And likewise, if uh, you're a part of this culture, it would have made even more sense for Jesus to say, I'm the light for the Jews. Because they would have really liked that. Because they just felt so special. Their mama had been telling them how special they is for a really long time. Because, you know, your mama's supposed to tell you you're special. Some of you are really special, right? <laughs> and they thought that. They thought they was really special. And Jesus just knocks the platform out underneath their feet, and he says, I am the light of the world. Now, this creates a problem for me, because here's what the light does. The light exposes that which is what is in the dark, okay? So here's the problem with that. The light exposes what's dark around you, and the part I don't like about the light is that it exposes the darkness within you. Now, we like that part. Shine that light, Jesus, on all that stuff around us. Shine that light on, my, on, on, on that person over there. Because, you know, everybody knows they're going crazy. Shine that light, and then, and then we want to be the light shiners ourselves. We want to go shine light on everybody else's problem. And that, that feels good because it makes me feel validated and it makes me feel good while I am in turn sinking deep in my hidden sin. So we love the part of shining your light on all the injustice, shine the light on all of the problems of the world, but we do not like it. What's going to happen in this text is when God shines the light in your darkness, in your darkness. Now, because ain't nobody going to be amen in that part of the sermon. So I'll save that for last. All right. So here's Jesus comes up on the temple and he says to them, I am the light of the world. If you look at uh, what happens, so the religious leader brings a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. If you look back in verse four and he said to them, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? So I need you to get this for a second. They're trying to trap Jesus, and they're trying to play this game with Jesus. And Jesus is like, I ain't having none of this. Y'all go ahead and try to trap me and play your little silly game, all right? And so they, they bring this woman, and the Bible says they caught her in the act of adultery. Can we pause just for a second and talk about how awkward that is and how much of a creep these jokers are because adultery you all know what that is if you don't do not google it adultery it takes two to tango in this and so here's what is likely what happened they caught this act they caught these two in the act of adultery now my question is where the brother at where the man. Now, here's the speculative part on that. 
He just could have been a fast runner. <laughs> I mean, come on, think about it. Bro's creeping up on your window. You're like, what the? And you just get out of there, man. I mean, you just leave your, your boo in the bed. Like, come on now, this is what's happening. And this is very awkward to say this. He just jets. Now, that's, that's one case. There's a lot of speculation. And thank God I'm not going to go through all these, all right? Now, it could be that they may have had him in on this. They're like, I tell you what, homie, we'll pay you some money. Or they could have just said, we'll blackmail you. So we ain't going to take you. We'll, we just want her. And really, it's not about her. They just hate Jesus that much. that They want to try to trap Jesus. So where's the brother at? We don't know. I mean, he could have been a fast runner or he could have just been in on it with them. And so it's awkward because even adultery, I mean, this was something that was going on in their culture. And just weird, y'all. All right. Caught in adultery. Brother man, gone. And they're trying to play chess with Jesus. And they try to back him up against the corner. You can't do that with Jesus. Now, these religious leaders, they're seeking to arrest Jesus, but they don't know him. They don't know Jesus. So they try to trick him with the law. Notice what they say. The law says you are a killer. Now, here's what we know about this particular law. Now, this is frowned upon in Christianity, okay? But this particular law would have meant that she was most likely betrothed. <laughs> Nobody uses that word anymore. Uh, she had a fiancé, all right? And she was cheating on him with this other guy who was likely married. All right, so she's a young lady, and she's got issues in and of itself. And so the law, they try to play this game with Jesus, and they try to tell him that you know the law. And so here's the game they're thinking they're playing with Jesus, that if he lets her go, then he's too soft on sin. If he lets her go, then he does not even own up to the law in which he wrote. Or if he says, yes, stoner, then Jesus is going to get in a lot of trouble because it was not their job to bring down the gavel and, and, and bring capital punishment upon her. That was the Roman authority's job. And so if Jesus would have done that, he'd been going to jail. So they're trying to play this little game, and I'm sure they're thinking, we got him. We got this Jesus. I mean, that's a lot of hatred just to get to this point. The fact that they are trying to get Jesus and, and play this game with him by, by ruining these people's lives, and yes, they were in sin, but the fact that they're going through all this trouble, I'm like, get a job. I mean, is anybody else thinking this? Like, come on. Like, get over yourself. Man, they got some hatred. And so... Jesus does not panic like Matthew Thrower would. He does something that Jesus do. He stoops down into the ground and plays with dirt. All right? Can we also say weird? I'm going to say this. 
and an act of not sound, sounding strange myself, Jesus did some really weird stuff. Playing in dirt. I mean, he loved dirt. Grabbed dirt, spit in it, threw it in somebody's face. I mean, can we just all agree, Jesus is a pretty interesting character. I mean, this guy was not your conventional rabbi. <laughs> you know, I'll play with dirt right now, show you. So he stoops down, and now here again is where a lot of the speculation comes in. What did he write? Have you ever re read that and just thought, what did he write? Now, here's the answer, and then we'll kind of guess. We don't know. You don't know. Nobody. No, you don't. Because you didn't see it. And, and, now, and so we, we don't know. Bro, you always throwing shade on me, so I just had to get that in, all right? So <laughs> he knows I love him. Because if I love you, I do that to you. If I, don't ever just, if I don't ever jab at you, then I probably don't like you, all right? But I like you, Willie, all right? Now, a lot of speculation. A lot of speculation what he could have wrote. Now, he could have wrote back to what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13. Those who turn away from you will be ridden in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. That's a good, that's a good one. I kind of like that one. I lean a little bit towards that one. Because again, remember context. It's towards the end of the Feast of Booths, and Jesus just made this audacious claim as these religious leaders are pouring out water on the altars, Jesus comes through the back door and says, yo, I am that living water. Amen. So he could have very well have written that right there. I'll write your name if I don't know you in the dust because the dust will blow you away. Amen. Now that's a good one. I like that one. I amen that, maybe. There's other, other things that he's writing. Because for the religious leaders, they had three principles that they clung to. If you remember your religious leaders and your Pharisees, they loved circumcision, which is highly awkward again. We'll study circumcision. You want to sign up for that? I'm not. Again, if you don't know what circumcision is, do not Google that. A lot of interesting things will come up on your screen. Dietary laws. They didn't like bacon, y'all. Something's wrong with them. They're just not American, y'all. And then the Sabbath. And these are the laws that they just really loved. And they loved their law. So here's what the rabbis would do. So they would take their law and they would hand it down to the students. And it would be a heavier yoke. And so they would give them their interpretation of the law, which we call the halakha. And so this would be just a crazy interpretation of the law. I mean, they would just come up with all these weird things. And one speculation is that they were just so entrenched with their interpretation of the law that on certain days you couldn't write. But you could write in the dirt because the wind would blow it away. And so perhaps, again, speculation, Jesus is doing this. He's playing at their own game. Oh, okay. I know every small, minute detail of your halakha. And you won't play me like that. 
And I don't know what he wrote. He, I did, at that point, he could have wrote guilty. He, because she was. And so these, these morons, they just keep at it. And so Jesus is just like, he gets up. He's like, all right. If you're without sin, then throw it, bro. Throw the rock at her. Again, Jesus is playing them at their own game because if anyone threw the stone, that would have been them claiming deity because they would have said, well, yeah, I'm perfect, so I'll throw the stone. So then in turn, they would have been stoned because that's blasphemous. So Jesus said, man, he's just this cool cat, y'all. He's like, oh, I'll play y'all's little small game. Y'all gonna think y'all gonna get me. And so he just catches them at their own game. And I want you to see this, what just happened. What the light does is that it exposed the darkness around this lady. These self-serving morons. All right, that's about as Christian as I can get right now. It was their agenda, not just to ruin this woman, but they wanted to get Jesus. Remember, they just tried to arrest him. They just tried to have, uh, they just tried to have the, the temple police go get him. And the poli police was like, y'all, dog, I think what he's saying is pretty good. I ain't going to arrest him. And so they're frustrated beyond belief. And so they think they got him. But all Jesus does is expose the reality of darkness that's covering this individual, this woman. And here's what the light does for you and I, and this is supremely good news, is that it will expose the darkness around you. All of the unjust things that have been done to you, all of the unjust things that have been said about you. I mean, have you ever been accused? I have. It ain't fun. When you know, like, all right, outside of this woman's situation, when you know you've done nothing, because I don't know about you, but integrity is a pretty good big deal for me. And so when somebody is accusing you of something, like, you're just not attacking me. Like, you're attacking what I cling to, my integrity. It's not fun being accused. And all of the ac accusations that are ma being made against you, and all of the darkness that is trying to attack you, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. Light is an incredible thing. We use the light as children, and maybe some of you still do. When it's dark, you hear a scary, spooky noise. What do you do? After you scream for one of your parents, you turn your light. And then you're an adult, you're like, oh, wait a minute, I'm, I live by myself. Oh. <laughs> your spouse is like, um, why are you crying for your mommy? Can you chill? So what do we do when we're scared? We turn the light on. And there's just something about the light that just makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Why? Because now you see that Pennywise really isn't there <laughs> after all. Anybody want to join me on that one? <coughs> He's not there. The boogeyman's not there. But the light also does something interesting. When my children want to hide something, they hide things in inconspicuous dark places 
For example, drawers. There's no light in a drawer because when you close it, it's dark. You can't see the used up Capri Suns and the used up goldfish. <laughs> can't see the bags of food that I stole and ate all of in one setting. My dirty clothes, they don't belong in the dirty basket. They belong in the closet where no one will see them. <laughs> Likewise, what we do in our secret sin is we compartmentalize it. We want to keep it hidden in the dark. So yes and amen to the dark, to, to the darkness can't hold anything to the light. But also you got a yes and amen, the idea and the fact that the darkness within you cannot contain the light that is being penetrated upon you. I like this when he says, where are your accusers? I want you to see that what the light did for her, the light became her advocate. And that's incredible, man. And Jesus will go on and in later chapters in John where he talks about how the spirit will come and, and become your advocate. And it's really good news. And I think practically for us, like, where are the church of advocates at? We got a lot of accusers, but perhaps practically speaking for us as a church, we need more people who are advocates. Think about Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Let your speech always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Speak full of grace and truth. We got the truth part down pretty well. Bunch of sinners, right? I mean, we want to expose people who really are, but we forget about the whole idea that grace has to be along with the message. It's grace and truth. Where are the advocates for all of the injustices in our culture, for all of the injustices in our community? Where are the advocates for racial injustices, for sexual injustices? Where are the advocates for the unborn? And I believe that there is a call on us from this scripture as we are to become more like Christ, to become the advocate here that Jesus is for this lady. He doesn't come to condemn her. He just comes to be her advocate. Now, I don't think she gets a pass on this because we know she doesn't. Because Jesus says this one little sentence to her. Don't sin no more. Jesus here is at this moment. I mean, he's not shying away from her sin. He's not trying to avoid the situation. It's his love and mercy and grace. And it's that light that exposed the darkness within, within her. Why? Because the light comes to expose what's around us and expose what's inside of us. And he tells her this, and I, don't, I ain't got this one figured out quite yet, go and sin no more. How? What a crazy task. This is a call, I believe, of freedom for her. 
that life that you're living, leave it behind because the light has come to expose who you really are and that's incredible news because once you see yourself who you really are look at what they do the law the law the law and here's what the law does the law exposes you for who you are it's what galatians says it's like a mirror to your soul the law reveals your sinful nature and that's exactly what's happened but insert christ who became our propitiation for our sin. In other words, he absorbed the wrath. In other words, these stones that fell, like he took the stones on her behalf. Like the stones that she deserved, Jesus took the stones. And you and I, we deserve this penalty and this punishment of death. She deserves it by law. But the great advocate, the great, uh, the great Jesus who is coming to bridge us back to the Father has come to redeem and rescue her. So he's not coming to condemn her. That's not his mission. Remember what he says, I didn't come to condemn the world. So he's here to bring light to this sinful woman. Because be straight, that's what she is. I mean, she's doing this thing, and it's wrong. And Jesus comes in, and he doesn't pat her on the back like, oh, boo-boo, you'll be okay, honey. And mean on men. You can keep on living your life how you want to. I mean, isn't that the message that some of us believe? Oh, Jesus, oh, he just, he'll welcome you like, he just loves you anyway. I mean, yes, he does. But be careful with those sinful, uh, th those hidden sins. Because the more we try to compartmentalize those sinful, uh, those hidden sins, the more they grow. One of the greatest things that can ever happen to you, my friend, is for the light to expose that hidden sin that's tucked and buried inside of you. And I know you're thinking like, well, that's just going to be awkward when I confess. Yeah, it is. But you know what would be more awkward? Is to never confess and to stand before the judge. That's even more terrifying. The eternal ramifications for you never addressing the hidden sin in your life is more frightening now than it would be for you to confess. Like, and, and I, let's be honest, all right? That's incredibly difficult because I know us, I know myself. Some of us carry things in our life and we've got this sin and it's just never been dealt with and yet we just, it just keeps building and building and building and suddenly, because you didn't want to deal with this one small, because it always begins with something small, because you didn't want to deal with this small secret hidden sin. Now it's become adultery. Now it's become some lie that is going to follow you to your grave. Now it's become something that's so catastrophic in your life. All because you weren't willing to deal with these small hidden sins in your life. But the good news of the gospel is that the light has come to 
penetrate deep down in your dark soul and expose it for what it is so that you can see the beauty of who Jesus is. So like right after this, this awkward little conversation that has a lot of speculation, in verse 12, he goes back up and he says, I am the light of the world. I'm in. I've been trying to find your boo to satisfy you. You've been trying to find that job or that money to satisfy you. You think that these these successes in life are going to just what brings the spotlight to you. But I've come to be the light so that you can see yourself for who you really are in order for you to see Christ for who he really is. And in just a moment, what we're going to do is we're going to break into communion. And this is going to be a time for us to just do that thing, like confess, repent. When we break communion, like this is just symbolism for us of the body and the blood of Christ, the body that was broken for us, that propitiation, that which you deserve the stone, but Jesus took the stone on your behalf. And when we take this bread, it's just, we remember that time in our life when God saved you. That juice that we, we drink it represents that blood that was poured out for all sins. Amen. All of your sins. Amen. Your past, your present, your future sins. Amen. All covered in that moment on the cross of Christ. Yes. So I'm going to just say a prayer and then we're going to move into communion. And, and again, if you're on, we'll have a table that's set up right here, two stations on this table, and just take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. And you can either come to these altars or you can just go back to your seat. So let me just offer up a word of prayer. Father.